And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. It is Monday, December 19th. And our last episode before the holiday break. Good to have all of you here with us. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. And it looks like we've been having a little bit of a, of a boom over on our .com. Uh, for whatever reason, I'm not sure. People are going over to, the, to Sci-Fi For Me.com and taking a look. I'm sure it's bots. But it'd be nice if it were real people. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, all right. So, uh, yes, we are broadcasting live here to uh, Facebook, Odyssey, and YouTube. The show is also available as a podcast on a number of different players. And uh, we do invite you to uh, check out the live video every now and again because sometimes we have stuff that doesn't really translate well to, uh, to audio, uh, we'll probably have some of that on our 500th episode, which is coming up December 30th. Uh, so there is that. Uh, speaking of the .com, I did just publish a review of Stealing God and Other Stories by Bruce McAllister. We interviewed him a few weeks ago, and I'm glad to finally get that out in the world. And today we're going to be talking about <coughs> excuse me, other books. Um, there's a lot of news going on, uh, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about these books. They're in the Systemic series, and uh, I understand that we are the first place for people to be talking about this new book. Uh, Chris Lodwig joins us. He is the author of both Systemic and Host. Welcome, sir. Hi. Good to be on your show. It's good to have you. And I do I have that right? We're the first interview that you're doing about about the new book. Uh, well, actually, my first interview is with an AI. Uh, so you're the first human <laughs> okay. who've uh, talked to me. And uh, my my friend uh, pulled up Jat, uh, Chat Chat uh, GPT, and he and I ran an interview together. You can see that on my website. It's kind of fun. Now we're going to redo it again because it was a lot of fun. But uh, that. Uh, that chatbot does an amazingly good job interviewing people. So, but you're the first human. So it's the first one with, uh, you know, slip ups and, and all those sorts of things that are going to happen. So I, I'm excited know, about it. You know, it's it's funny because we talk about we talk about artificial intelligence. I had a guy on uh, a few weeks ago, Harry Glorickian, who mm -hmm. is an author of a book called The Future You, and he's a big he's a big big advocate of uh, artificial intelligence being used in healthcare. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. various different applications. I'm like, yeah, okay, I can understand. I can see the benefit in some particular cases, you know, mm -hmm. limited application of AI. But at the same time, you know, I'm looking at, I saw a, I saw a deep fake video yesterday, somebody, somebody creating a Morgan Freeman video mm -hmm, mm -hmm. without Morgan Freeman. I'm thinking this stuff is getting too good. And yep. too dangerous for me. And I, you know, mm -hmm. the the more technology advances, the more I want to go to the cabin cabin in the woods. I'm just like, you know, when I was a kid, Star Trek was the thing. It was like, man, that mm -hmm. would be really cool. You have your pads and your transporters and your computer and your computer. And the older I get, now we're closer to all of that technology. 
And I'm thinking, no thanks. I'm good. It's a little yeah. bit too yeah. intrusive, a little bit too invasive. I just, you know, it, mm-hmm. but maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just being old and, it and is, too skeptical. It is not just you. Uh, it, <laughs> it should be very concerning. So I, I actually, I work at, uh, in technology, I, I work at Microsoft. Uh, and, you know, AI is, is a tool like any other tool, except it's a, it's a tool on steroids. And all the, all the problems, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, a gun. A gun is just a tool. You can use it for good. You can use it for bad. You know, these types of things. And AI is like that, but a gazillion times more intense. Yeah. Uh, it can do amazing things and it can do terrible things. Um, and the weirdest thing about AI, to me personally, the thing I find most both intriguing and terrifying about it is especially the um, the the learning models. You don't know what they're doing. It, they look at... Uh, sample sets and depending what data they look at and depending on who trains them because they're, they're all to be trained they don't just learn stuff they, they get trained on things very strange things can happen that humans just don't understand why they're happening and that can get very odd um but that anxiety that you're talking about is exactly one of the one of the main reasons i wrote my first book systemic um, yeah, you just basically talked about the whole arc of my 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 uh, <laughs> my my series thus far. It's like, hey, let's take AI, make it go big on it. It's going to be awesome and crazy. And then what happens when that falls over is the second book. Yeah. Um, but but when I started Systemic, those those sorts of anxieties were exactly what I was thinking about. Of course, I wanted to go a little bit different with it, and I said, what if the AI was good? And I think this is actually kind of the point. The AI in Systemic is is a net good. It is a, a, a benevolent overlord that actually does a pretty good job of running society. Um, and the reason I did that was because of deep fakes and because of the things that were coming up and I was seeing in the media. And, and the fact that, that truth in our discourse has, has just vanished. There is, it's all subjective and it's all, uh, there's no objective truth anymore. And that was very concerning to me. And I said, what if we could take the AI and and sort of offload our understanding of truth to an AI. And it, what it was doing in the book was doing veracity ratings was a lot of what it did was it would take some information, say, from the news or whatever, and say, this is probably true. This is probably not true. And it was totally apolitical. And, and that was kind of the exploration I was going for. And, and to have it be able to make good decisions that might be difficult decisions, but would ultimately benefit the world. And that was the system. That was what I created. Uh, and that's why that book is a little bit of a utopian dystopia, <laughs> but, but that was why I wrote it. And then dot, 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 things happen that falls over and we can get into that if you want. And host is 290 years, 300 years after that's happened. And what sort of society would grow up around that? talk a little bit about that too but well, like i said your anxiety is exactly where i was going with the whole series well and it's funny you mentioned the you know this 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 idea of objective truth not being a thing anymore i mean you've got just as an example uh this morning we get news that amber heard has settled her you know defamation stuff with johnny depp and in okay. her statement she talks about quote unquote my truth and we see mm-hmm. this we see this a lot from people and and however you feel politically one way or the other it generally tends to fall on a particular side of the argument this this idea that my truth my lived reality and all of this kind of thing 
somehow supplants objective fact. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, you can tell me that the sky is orange. That doesn't make the sky orange. You know, there is a scientific principle behind the reason why the sky is perceived as blue. I mean, the yep. sky is not blue. We see it as blue because of the way that light is bent through the atmosphere and all this. And yep. I'm like, you can't sit there and tell me that the sky is orange. Except right. maybe at sunset. And this is where it gets weird. I can tell you that I see the sky as orange, and you have no way of knowing one way or another if I'm telling you the truth or if I'm not telling you the truth, because all of those things make their way into my brain and how I interpret those things. And this is actually the point, right? right. Reality is, is inherently uh, a construct and something that we agree upon as a society. And, and as we start to get different sources of information, it's good, bad, or ugly, doesn't matter. We get different sources of information that affects our brain, that affects our perception of the realities that are around us. And, and as media is getting more and more fragmented, also kind of a good thing, lots of different voices in the world is good, but lots of different information coming at you. Uh, I, I think that it actually changes your actual perception of the world. And you and I, yeah. I don't know anything about your politics, but you and I could watch a, uh, the exact same event and, and experience it quite differently and have different backstories and different emotions around it. And that's real. That is a real thing. That happens. They discovered this a long time ago. There was a football game between, like, you know, Yale and Rutgers or something, a long time ago, and and they pulled the different people on the different sides. And depending whether you're a Yale fan or a Rutgers fan, you literally experienced that football game differently. The refs were either good or bad at certain moments, and they were cheating or not cheating. Like right. that actually happened, and and that's fine when it's the variance is small. Right. That's fine. It's like, yeah, we agree that generally things are moving in a direction when they get big, it gets bad. And then getting back to your deep fake analysis, like point when it's just made up, when you have actors coming into the world, just making stuff up. All bets are off. And and I think that that ultimately is why I was so the anxiety around that is why I wrote my first novel. I had a, a physics teacher in high school, my senior year. She first first day, she can't, she comes in, and we've got this is back in the day when we had chalkboards, mm-hmm. um, and the chalkboard the chalkboard in the in the in the classroom was green, and she says, "What color is this chalkboard?" And mm-hmm. of course, everybody we look at it and says, "It was green," and she says, "It's orange," and we're mm-hmm. looking at her like she's losing her mind. She says, "No, no, no." She says, my point is, I'm defining this chalkboard as being orange. And through the rest of the semester, that chalkboard was orange because it had been defined such. Mm, And in her point, she's talking about in science. But I think also in the the regular realm of reality here, a lot of truth is is what we assign to it. And I think that's why we see a lot of concern over the change in definitions of words. Words mm-hmm. don't mean anything anymore. So when you get oh. into artificial intelligence, who's programming that? What definitions are they giving that artificial intelligence? What what parameters? You know, because we're looking at garbage in, garbage out. If we program this, this AI to do a certain thing in a certain way, we could call it benevolent, but, you know, 300 years from now, it becomes Landru, and we're having the red hour, and everybody goes crazy for, 20, for, for 12 hours, you know. 
You know, the weirder thing about artificial intelligence uh, is that a lot of these things you don't program, right? I mean, that's like the weirder thing about it. It's, it's non-deterministic. And so what you really do with a lot of artificial intelligence and learning is you say, I'm going to give you a goal. Like, this is how you program artificial intelligence. You say, I want you to optimize something for a specific goal, finding cancer in some images or optimizing the way that the light rail system in Seattle runs, whatever it is that you tell it to do. And then it looks at data and figures out the best way to do it. So there isn't anybody programming artificial intelligence, at least a lot of them. You, 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 you give it the algorithm to learn with, you give it a goal, and then you give it data, and then you kind of hope it all works out. Um, <laughs> it, that's really how a lot of that works. Uh, or if you're, there's different grouping algorithms and things you could do. But yeah, it's like, who, who knows? They did this thing, I think uh, it was a technology company that I once worked for, don't work there anymore. But and and I, uh, the rumor has it that they had an AI that was trying to find the best people to hire, and the thing that they used to train it, they said, let's let's make find people that are going to stay here the longest. We want people that are going to be good hires, and so what they did was they gave it a bunch of resumes of the people who had been there the longest and who were doing well, and what they very quickly found is that the AI would only hire males because they were the ones who worked there. And it would only hire, like, you know, there was some some uh, characteristics, like, let's say, you know, certain uh, ethnicities like or people that were from other countries. This is a great. I don't know if this is true, but as an example, uh, if you bring people into this country on an H-1B visa, they have to work at your company. They can't just leave. Right. Because they're here to work at your company. Um, and if they if you fire them or they quit, they go back to their, their home country. That's how it works. And so those people are being heavily weighted. They stay the longest. We definitely want people from from this particular country because they stay the longest. And and that's where you start to get those data things that come in. It's like you're going to completely ignore whole segments of, of a society because of the data they use to feed the algorithm. And so that's very, very uh, concerning. Yeah. Well, and the, the, this whole idea of machine learning in the first place, I mean – I've made the joke that at some point Google buys Facebook, the algorithm mm -hmm. reads all of our posts, and Skynet will be born and the, and the missiles will fire off. Because you, you have this thing where it's it, – I don't, I don't know if it's completely unchecked, but you know, there's – what's the limit? What what's the what's the box you put an AI in and mm -hmm. will the AI learn enough that it could get itself out of the box? You know, I mean, what kind of controls do you put on? That? I know there was that one engineer at Google, question. that one engineer at Google that said, you know, well, this particular AI over at Google is now sentient. That's a scary mm -hmm. thought for me. And, and I don't yep. know that it necessarily is sentient. You start to look for those things that you want to see, I guess. Mm -hmm. But then you have okay. Well, if this is learning certain things, how do you how do you steer it toward that benevolent AI like you've got in your book? I mean, mm -hmm. how, what kind of things have to happen in a particular order when you're doing your world building, for example? You say, okay, mm -hmm. well, I want my I want this AI to be benevolent. How do you get mm -hmm from where we are now to a benevolent AI that doesn't, that doesn't reach around and bite you? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and, and I'm fascinated with unintended consequences. That's one of the things that I think you'll see as a recurring theme in my story. 
uh, both both stories actually. And uh, in that book, uh, what I did was I I, I cheated really. I, I stole this from Isaac Asimov in the uh, the the Laws of Robotics, uh, which is a great. If you ever read iRobot, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and that had to do with the uh, unintended consequences as well. There was like three laws of robotics, and then it plays out like through those short stories. A lot of fun. And so what I did was I said there's a primary, um, uh, I don't want to say primary objective. That's a Star Trek thing. But a, uh, a fundamental tenet within the system that says whatever I do and whatever I think and whatever solutions I come up with absolutely has to benefit the living world and life in the living world. And, and so that's just, it's no matter what it does, it cannot break that, uh, it's a, called the biological invariant uh, within the system. So it, 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 when it comes up with solutions, like I want to, I want more trees to grow, right? It's like, oh, I know how to solve that. I'm going to kill all the people. You're like, yeah, <laughs> we don't want that to happen. And so, so whatever it does, it has to make sure that it, uh, based on, based on everything it knows and how far it can project its mind into the future, any decisions it makes, any advice it gives, any policies it generates has to benefit uh, not humanity necessarily, though humans are highly weighted in the algorithm, but it needs to benefit the living world gotcha. uh, so that it won't do those things. And that's what I that's the invariant that I put into the system. So um, how close are we to something like that at this point? I mean, you're you're in Pretty that far. you're in that world. <laughs> Pretty far. Okay, that's um, good. And, and the other thing about AI, like I'm, I'm actually not somebody who's terribly panicked about AI. I'm much more, and I'll, I'll actually get into this a little bit. The, the thing I'm much more afraid of is people programming AI. And one of the problems that came about in Systemic in that book is, I, I think, very instructive and very uh, in keeping with what my theories about AI are. AI is just a tool and People can use it the ways that they want. They can train it the way they do. And the problem with that is once everyone figured out how smart this thing was and how unbiased it was, it actually wanted to do what was good for everybody. No political leanings, doesn't have a favorite football team, nothing like that. Uh, they started just having it solve all the problems. It's like, hey, how about this? Can we solve this problem, this problem, this problem? And so it's directed by what humans ask it to do. Mm-hmm. And and which is great on an individual level, on a very tactical level. It's like, I need to solve this problem. Great, it's solved. But on aggregate, for a society to have machines solve all of their problems, and it reduces any concept of struggle within society, within individuals, which is how we grow as people, and how we learn and how we express ourselves is through struggle and these things. It really was detrimental to people, which is why I say it's a utopian dystopia, systemic was, because it's both awesome, like, you know, everything, everyone's well taken care of, like, you know, all the great things that, that you kind of want out of a, a wonderful society and no one's really oppressed or anything except by our own actions. We actually are the problem in systemic. Um, and so without giving away too much about that book. The, the system, the machine actually says the best thing I can do for the world is to destroy myself, which is what happens. And so and that's where host picks up where my new novel picks up is now what now what do we do? Yeah, well, it almost it's almost like uh, the point where we become so dependent on the machines you know, mm-hmm. we're all we're all in our our floaty chairs with our taco barrels and our big gulps on the USS Axiom floating through space. And, you know, we're not we're Brilliant. not doing anything. We're not we're not striving for anything. 
Absolutely. And I think you're right. I think this. I think the struggle and and part of the <clears throat> part of the thing that makes us, you know, achieve and and make progress is the fact that we have this adversity. Okay, how do we get past this problem? How do we deal with mm-hmm. this? How do we solve this? Absolutely. And creativity and ingenuity is not something that you can get in an artificial intelligence program. I think that's, that's one right. of the one of the problems you get with this AI generated artwork that, that's being debated mm-hmm. about now with this mid journey thing and the other the other programs. Mm-hmm. You know, AI is fine. It can scrape all this data and there's a question of whether or not that's copyright violation and, and all these kind of things. But at the at the core of it, AI generated art is not creative. It's doing what we tell it to do in a yeah. way that it says, okay, well, how about this? And it gives us different options, but it's not actually creating anything without input from us. Yeah, well, the fun part about that, yeah, I agree. So I, first off, you'll get me to talk about these things for hours because I think this stuff's <laughs> fascinating and interesting. The fun things I like to think about is, are humans any different? So you take any... And this, and I honestly don't know the answer to that. I don't know that anybody does. But let's say, like human, human genius and intelligence, and actually, the main character and host really exemplifies this, which is why she's the the heroine of the book. That what humans do to be genius and intelligent is they 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 grab a lot of information from a lot of different things, and then they bring it together into a new thing. It's like synthesis production, and then that it's it's a sort of so, social feedback loop that we do. And, and so when an AI looks at all the things that have like the images that are the coolest images in the world, like based on rankings and things on the internet, what's really popular, right. and it synthesizes those things by an algorithm that we gave it that says, take these colors, and if somebody wants to, I actually did this for the cover of my, my book as a joke, it's not the one I finally used, but I was like, I want to see a picture of a, a young woman, 13 years old, standing in front of a gypsy caravan. And it came up with it, and it wasn't that bad. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. Uh, how, how, many, how, many fing- how many fingers did the 13-year-old have? Uh, she, she had, actually, it was just, it was a, and this is where it gets creative and weird. It was a picture of her walking towards the caravan from about the calves down. So it was just like her lower leg okay. and a, a wheel, like a spoked wheel. And and that was it. And she was wearing like, sh- you know, shorts or something that was like, uh, it was actually pretty amazingly accurate. But the weird thing is it didn't just show me a caravan and a girl standing next to it. It actually changed the composition on it to be. The, and so I'm like, that was really odd. Huh. It did some very... And they chose to make it an oil painting. I'm like, well, that's weird. And and it does kind of make you wonder, like, well, how do humans do it? Yeah. Uh, what what What's good composition? How do we know what good composition is? And to see the AIs doing that stuff, it's like, well, that's kind of weird. But in order for us to get to a place where we have general global artificial intelligence, like the system in my book, I think that it, it would take an awful lot. Uh, a lot of these things are very, not only are they massively intensive from a computational standpoint, they're also trained for very, very, very specific things, facial recognition. You get things that can recognize faces better than humans, but that's all it can do. It can recognize people. Okay, great. And then it's like, what do you do with that after you have it? And then you start getting into, into humans and what they actually want out of that. So, Well, and the, and the other part of that, too, is is you can take 
this function over here and marry it to this function here and mm -hmm. marry it to this one over here and you know cloud yeah. cloud based whatever whatever having having that mm -hmm. in in place then suddenly you have this global machine that can do all of these things and there's no off switch because all it's got to yep. do is just jump to the other server and jump to the next yep. server and jump to the next server. I mean, we've seen this kind of story play out. Um, uh, what's the what's the one with uh, that uh, Jim Caviezel was in? Um, there was a, there there were there were AIs in that one, and I can't remember the name of it now. Um, but right. you know this this thing where everything's out in the cloud, and mm -hmm. I've I've personally never trusted the cloud because it's out there i can't i can't control it you know yeah and yeah. I, I i've got hard drives here i okay i've got a file it's on a hard drive i it's right here at my fingertips and assuming that the hard drive doesn't fail then i yeah, know where hard drives it is. fail <laughs> hard drives <laughs> fail with hard drives. and the cloud fails all the time too you've probably seen that poster sticker or meme that says there is no cloud it's just somebody else's computer yeah uh, yeah. Which is true. It's yeah. like a massively backed up somebody else's computer. Yeah, so, yeah. those yeah, are guys say all the just time. Said that. <laughs> well, and the, the other the other thing too, and and Death Angel said said uh, said this because we talked about you know Taco Bell and and the future and and dystopian stuff. I mean, Demolition Man is really mm -hmm. turning out to be fairly predictive, which is kind of a scary thing. But um, he says that it would be fun asking the Chat GPT to to add, uh, to figure out how to use the three seashells. I don't. I don't know that I know that reference. Uh, it's, from, it's, it's from Demolition Man. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you haven't seen it. I have not seen Demolition Sylvester Man. Stallone and. Uh, nope. I know. I know of it. I've never seen it. You need to watch I, it. Uh, it's fun. It's I, scary I predictive. It. It's scary predictive. It's like, wait a minute. This was supposed to be a comedy. Yeah, it's not funny. No, it's <laughs> idiocracy. It's the same way. Yeah. Right. Same you know um, what? What? What's weird to me um, is so one of the things that I mentioned in systemic uh, is that the AIs do everything for you. One of the things they're doing is there's something called Sysband and there's like you know Sys Studios and all these all these computer generated content that's customized to me. So if I sit down in a hotel or something and I'm watching a movie, no one else has ever seen that movie. It's mm. just mine because it's made for me based yeah. on you know what I want to see and all that stuff, which takes all the sort of surprise out of life. But the weird thing about some of those things that I was just thinking a little bit ahead in the future, I was, my friend Brooks, I got chat, chat GPT interviewed me, which was kind of a moment of oddness. But then I listened to, to there's something that I was listening to this the other day that was an AI that was making music. And it wasn't great music, to be clear, but it's kind of Casio Tony, but it was just generating <laughs> music on the fly. Now, and then there's all these things that are writing uh, newspaper articles and all this stuff. It's like happening all over the place now. For those of an age, Casio was a thing. I know that Casio Way was fine. back in the day. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember. I had, I had a little like Casio keyboards, and you're yep, like, yep. it's a samba beat. You I've know, got like, a I've got a Casio wrist wristwatch somewhere in in this in this facility here. It's in a box somewhere or whatnot, and it's got a it's got a thermometer on it. Ooh. It was very cool. I, World time. I, it was a fancy gadget. I, I worked on uh, smartwatches before smartwatches were a thing at Microsoft. We had these smartwatches that were FM radio enabled. It was kind of cool. There's big things. 
Yeah. Got a, I worked on that team for a while. It was, and we're like, this is never going to work. This is dumb. Let's stop doing this. <laughs> and then like 10 years later, like Apple Watch. Like, <sighs> yeah, right. I mean, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the frustrating part where you sit there and you go, I had this idea. I had this idea six years ago. I had this idea 10 years ago. Yep. And of course, you don't have the money or the resources or the time to develop it properly. And then here you go yep. five years later and Netflix is streaming movies and, and, <laughs> All of these, all of these events are doing live streams from their events, their comic cons and whatnot. And I'm thinking, yep. anyway. All right, so anyway. we're going to do a real uh, quick break here. We will continue okay. with Chris Ludwig right after this. More about the uh, the dystopian, what the anti-dystopian dystopia or, or well, I, well, systemic <laughs> was uh, a utopian dystopia, but host is full on post-apocalyptic dystopia time. So All right, we're going to get into let's that. Talk one. about that a little bit. <laughs> we get back. Stay tuned. Broadcasting from a device built by a teenage genius using leftover parts from an erector set. This is sci-fi for me radio. I just can't imagine you reading racy adult material. But you know what? You know what? I have a, there's an author that I'm a big fan of uh, and he writes a science fiction series and he writes a fantasy series and he writes a smutty series and the smutty series is really entertaining. The H2O Podcast Monday night at 8 only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Good morning, Multiverse. Saturday morning at 11, 10 Central, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Back live from the bunker, we are talking with Chris Lodwig. He is the author of Host, the second systemic novel and it is set 300 years after the benevolent AI has decided you're on your own see ya <laughs> yeah. actually it was nicer than that uh, which is kind of what the <laughs> what host is about what it what it did right at the end there was it said well once it realized it was going to be gone, I'm sorry, spoilers, by the way, guys, <laughs> if you haven't read Systemic, first off, hit pause and go read Systemic, but it's important uh, to, that I have to give you some spoilers. So the last thing that the, the, the system did before it shut shut off was it printed up these, these two big, durable books. One went to one of the main characters, one went to the other, and what that book was intended to be was a, a how to bootstrap society after I'm gone. Is kind of what that is and so it it, it has basically the, the most important things you need to know about society is like how to grow food things that people no longer knew how to do because the system had been doing it for so long you know how to grow food you know, animal husbandry how sanitation works you know things like that you got to kind of know those things and um it had some history and stuff in there which is quoted all through systemic as well if you've read systemic and you see the chapters in there that are actually the system talking that's actually excerpts from that book um, so it, that's what it does at the end of Systemic. Um, and then Host, like I said, it's about three years, 300 years after that. And it has to do with, you've got one book, you've got no printing presses, no media, no nothing like that. What happens when you've got a, a single or a small number of books 
and you've got people who know and understand those books and a very large number of people who do not. Um, so the, the thing you would want to have happen is that those people who've now been called professors, they're itinerant professors and they travel around and they, they basically instruct people on how to, I don't know, make soap or whatever it is they need to do. Uh, but there aren't a lot of these books and there's not a lot of professors. And so it instantly sets up a power dynamic between people who know things and people who, who are receivers of, of, of intelligence and wisdom and things like that. And so it's, it really is that society that's grown up around those, those books and, and, um, yeah, and, and that, that power dynamic that exists. And it has to do with the idea of who the founding people of a society are and their humanity and how much their humanity sort of uh, exponentially impacts a society. Um, that That's kind of how the book is structured. And it's about a young 13-year-old girl who is, is born into this society and she her her she's kind of a, a reject let's be perfectly honest uh she's not neurotypical she's kind of got some she gets overwhelmed very easily and she's kind of not not liked in her town and she falls in with these itinerant professors and goes off to the university to learn about the system which is sort of the the human manifestation of all the rules and knowledge that the system has put into these books. And so she's off to learn about the system. And that's kind of the structure of the book. So let me ask you this, because I am I see my, my mother-in-law follows a number of different uh, people who are um, self-sustaining, you know, it's not necessarily off the grid, but, you know, gardening mm-hmm. and raising chickens sure. and, and that sort of thing. And I'm hearing you describe this society 300 years from now, and I'm thinking it's not going to take 300 years. We're almost there now because you have you have at least two generations of people who have become so dialed into YouTube and TikTok and and mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, what's a book? I, I'm not going to yeah. read. You want to read? Ugh, you know that kind of thing. You've got you've got genera- you know, you've got at least two generations that do that. And they mm-hmm. want everything right now. It's at my fingertips. I'll just Google it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not going to go to the library and look up the card catalog and find the book and you know do. Don't have card catalogs anymore. <laughs> right. It, it's all. It's all gone. It's all this ethereal yeah. out in the cloud thing. And you've got mm-hmm. people that are so, so ingrained to expect that I can just pull it up on my device. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we're I I don't know that we're 300 years away from that. You already have people that are out there now saying, yeah. "Here are these skills that we had 100 mm-hmm. years ago, making soap, milking cows, raising mm-hmm. ch- you know raising goats and chickens, and here's how to make cheese, and here's how to yep. you know dry salt and store meat and all these things." Yeah. And yeah, some of it is, you know, we're expecting the coming apocalypse because of what's going on with whole new world order, you'll own nothing and like it type of thing, you know, with the world economic forum stuff. But there are practical skills that we've lost. You know, Absolutely. You know, taking the politics out of it, all of the things we become so dependent on computers for everything mm-hmm. that we do. Yeah. 
All it takes is just one little thing. I had an idea in high school. A friend of mine and I, we were going to do with this. We were going to do a book about a, a, the space probe goes to Saturn, mm-hmm. and it comes back, and it brings an organism with it that attacks silicon, and it destroys the computer yep. systems in the entire planet. Yep. What happens at that point? I think you just wrote my book. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, it's it's like every that that idea. Um, we we there's an anxiety that is inherently built into us around dependence right and and i could go either way on this it's one of the fun things about being an author is i don't really need to take a position on it i just kind of present it and say what we do with it but but the the part of the anxiety we have is exactly what you said i don't need to know anything i just need to know how to find it and in my first book like not only is that true it's also all of my art, all of my everything is just coming from this, this system, right? And, and yeah, it shuts down. Like, that's kind of, and then the question is, what happens? Um, and and the, the answer is everything you said. You got to learn how to raise chickens and you got to do stuff. And, and, and that's, what, that's what the book was for, is to help people who really knew nothing about anything, how to, how to reconstruct their society. Um, and it's 300 years later, and they still have not gotten past that because of the how information is distributed. They just they're stuck where they're at. Um, and yeah, that's it. So, how much research into that aspect of life did you have to do in order to prepare? the book that the AI gave us and what the people have to learn and what the professors are going around sharing, how much, how much world building was involved before you could yeah. sit there and say, okay, I feel, I feel pretty credible in what I'm putting in this thing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny cause I, I did a decent amount. Um, and I, 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 I spent a lot of time, you know, listening to podcasts and reading books and watching shows about how, how society falls apart and how long it takes before buildings fall over and you know, doing these types of things. Um, and I, I had in my mind a lot of like, how much of that book do I want to put into a story? And my editor was very mean and she came after me a lot and was like, that's fine and interesting, but that's not really all that important to the book. So I, I cut out, this is one of my favorite stats. I deleted 80,000 words from this book, mm. which is, it's a novella that I took out of my book. And a lot of that was uh, things that I found very, very, very interesting that uh, weren't all that pertinent to the story. So my now when you, like, when you go. say deleted, <laughs> you've saved it somewhere, right? Oh, uh, sure. I've it's got it's out there it. somewhere like, in the cloud uh, on a drive somewhere. The, it's actually definitely on the cloud. It's, yeah. it's up on one drive. Uh, Cam's, so, Cam's got an interesting comment here. He says, yeah. on a comment I made, which was factually correct, someone responded that they weren't going to check the facts, but that I was incorrect. They were proud of ignorance. Ah, yeah. And and that yeah. that becomes a thing, too, now, because it's like, you know, I don't I don't care what you say. I don't believe you. I'm not going to look it up. I'm not going to I'm not going to have any any healthy skepticism or anything like that. I'm going to believe what the algorithm has told me to believe, and 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 I'm happy with that. Yep. How do you counter yeah. that? How do we change? That? Question. You know, how do how do we keep <laughs> how do we keep people from diving full tilt into the bliss of ignorance, and, and because they're not learning critical thinking? Yeah. No, it, it's tough. I mean, 
Um, again, if we want to talk about some of the anxieties that, that drove me to write a book, like you're, you're just touching on all of them. Um, and, and my, my brilliant solution was to make up a computer that solved everyone's problems because it's a really, really tough problem to solve. Um, and there's something very honest actually about saying, I'm not going to look up your facts and, and, and learn like, because the reality of human beings is that they're very emotional. We all are. Yeah. And, and at least we've gotten to the point now where people aren't arguing. <laughs> they're just about that. They're just like, I'm not going to look it up. That's, that's really what I'll do because your brain will definitely find things that it, that, that, that reinforce your beliefs and it will ignore things that will not enforce your beliefs. And so at least that person saying, I'm not, I'm not even going to bother. Right. Confirmation. <laughs> doing what bias. I know my brain won't let me do anyway. Yeah. But yeah, I know it's a, it's a, it's a big problem. Um, and you know, consensus building within society and knowing that, you know, we, we all, like I said earlier, society is a consensus. Like we all come together and we all believe certain things that, you know, truth with a small T, not big truth, because it's hard to have big truths anymore. But we all like agree to agree on stuff like money is a thing and the Constitution's important or whatever. Like we, we decide that these things are important. And in other societies, it's been, you know, the church is important or the Communist Party is important. Whatever those things are, yeah. the king is important. I believe the king came from God. Like that's a thing everyone decides to believe at some point. And we're in a place now where where we don't have those things that are are agreed upon by everybody and whoever says i'm not going to look at your facts i just know you're wrong is saying i know that if i read all the things that you read which i have zero respect for i would agree with you but i don't agree with you and i don't trust those sources so i'm not even going to bother and that's where we're at right now so uh i have i have frequently made the point that we are living right now at the inflection point between 1984 animal farm fahrenheit 451 and brave new world and you can add you can add a couple of those (laughs) others in there but this this idea i mean you you look at brave new world and everybody is so doped up on this drug Mm -hmm. and in reality the drug is social media you know, we yeah. get our we get our dopamine hit. We get our we get our our lollies and giggles from from likes and reposts and retweets and all of that. And I don't. I hate to be black pill about it, but I don't see us getting out of this. No, it, it just, I, I don't either. You honestly. talk about you know society being this consensus. You know the the algorithms, whether whether completely. By accident or not, I mean, you could put whatever nefarious motivations behind it if you want to, but society is being driven into this intense, rabid tribalism, the mm-hmm. likes of which we we haven't seen in hundreds of years. That is actually true. Absolutely true. Are we being deliberately set up to be fighting each other so we're not fighting some greater threat, do you think? You know, I, I think about that a lot. And I said that earlier that um, a, a lot of these things are unintended consequences of human nature. And I think that, that that's that's true and it's fair. Like, you know, you want things that reaffirm your beliefs. You click on links that look interesting to you because they look interesting right. to you. Like that's a self-fulfilling sort of thing. It's very hard to go click on a different link. And those algorithms only care about you clicking on links. And so the more links you click, the more they show you the same kind of stuff and more and more and more. And it ramps up just like a drug, right? That's just how it is. Right. 
you know, as you're talking, you know, people always say, uh, and, and, you know, hey, follow the money, whatever that's crime or whatever, follow the money. And I think that with when it comes to human nature, you should really follow the dopamine and follow the oxytocin and like try to figure out we're just chemical bags. Like that's what we do. We care about chemicals. We care about brain stimulus and whatever those things are that stimulate us to do like there's no truth. It's not about truth and it's not about my facts or your facts. It's like what is the thing that is triggering your dopamine response better than something else? that's it like that's all there is really which is sad and unless we make a concerted effort which by the way we're able to do we can't do this yeah make a concerted effort to 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 rise above our our dopamine uh response like we're it's it's just gonna keep going and so the question of whether it's nefarious or not it does not need to be it is it is an emergent property of you take media algorithm designed to drive dopamine you take human nature and tribalism and the way that we are we take some of those those inherent biases of our brain chemistry and this is just what happens when it's unfettered when it's unfettered like that there's part of that and and then as far as the nefariousness that into that anybody who's smart can inject things into that uh that that make that problem infinitely worse um and they do and that absolutely is happening it happens all over the world all the time and it it doesn't need to be a a a conspiracy or anything crazy it's just like no of course i once had a friend of mine's dad back when i was in college and i was conspiratorially minded i'm not very much anymore but i was and he sat there and he listened to me and my buddy talk and he said you know the fact is there are conspiracies all the time and reality is just the conspiracies canceling each other out like yeah. that's just what happens like but everyone conspires all the time anytime you get two people to do anything they're conspiring for something <laughs> and and so but that's all it takes and when you have one nefarious actor in the world it doesn't need to be a massive organization it just takes one nefarious actor uh some 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 you know troll farm somewhere in the world yeah. one person can expand their influence through this network of uh, you know connected brains and dopamine so easy it's amazingly easy to do and there's no control around it and that's how it is now you talked about in host the 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 things the ideas being presented and i know a lot of times there's been there's been debate especially in the last six ten years or so about mm-hmm. the message fiction versus let's just tell a good story fiction when you were yeah. when you were developing any of this stuff, because this this kind of thing, you know, you talk about 1984 and Fahrenheit 451. These are all supposed to be warnings, not instruction manuals. Mm. And now you've yeah, got you know, here yeah. you are with yeah. two books here about artificial intelligence, how we become too dependent on it. What happens next? Mm-hmm. Was there was there part of the development of this story? Is there a is there a particular overt or covert message in this stuff? No, I mean, I, I actually like complexity quite a bit, and so I I like to say, like, syst- uh, systemic. There is no bad guy. Like there isn't one. Uh, there's flawed people and flawed systems and things that emerge out of that. And I did that. The message of that book is that it doesn't need to be a conspiracy for it to be bad. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we don't need uh, the, the, the robot AI isn't the problem. We're the problem. And it has to do with human nature. And that, that if there's a message, it's that. 
Um, and, and all of that, then there's this sort of philosophical thing about what happens to people when, when we're in a world like that. So I care a lot about that. But it's not really a message as much as like, hey, this is left unfettered. This is what happens. So I guess it's kind of a warning. But and then and then host, I'm what I'm doing is I'm exploring ideas. And one of the things I, I was really thinking about in host has to do with founding documents and founding uh, sort of founding. I want to say fathers, but it's not really fathers because there's not a founding people's thing. But it's it's like how how important is it? about the person who founds a society, how much does that personality work its way up through, up through the years? And, and how, how do we come up with the things that are anathema to us? Where do we come up with what's good and bad? Like, how does that grow out of, again, the founding, the things, the history that came before Mm -hmm. the, the documents that we base our, our thinking upon and the personalities of the people who start societies. Like I was really very interested in doing that. And then after that, it's 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 more following a story about that that environment that I create. So in the second book, you've got the professors that are traveling around, and and, and it sounds like just from the description here that uh, almost a caste system starts to set up a little bit. So given given the 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 slight parallels between what's going on in your books and what's going on now. Book three is the civil war that takes place, right? Is that is that no. where we're going? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So it, it's funny. I, I am working on the the third book right now, but I uh, first off, the, what I think the third book's going to be about and what it turns out to be about may have very little to do with each other. Yeah, I had this whole um, idea of what host was going to be about, and I had it. I, I probably had two hundred pages written in it before I, I wrote one scene in that story that I just loved. And it was this character, Rayon, who's the, the main character, who's sort of social reject kind of thing. And she was having dinner with some other kids. She was like, they had traveled to this town and she had having dinner. And I, I loved her character so much. And I loved the conversation and the relationships between the kids so much that she became the heroine of my story. Hmm. And so if you'd asked me when I started writing it, was this going to be about a 13 year old girl coming of age story and, you know, post-apocalyptic dystopia land, I would have said, no, 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 no. It's all about, the characters from the first book and how they, you know, it's looking back on their lives and how they changed and how society grew up around them. And there's still some of that. A lot of the 80,000 works I deleted had to do with uh, the characters from the first book. So I could focus on this, this other character who I fell in love with and and really liked. So long way of saying, I think I know what the third book's going to be about. And it's kind of, you have systemic, which is this high, high tech, and then you've got uh, host, which is really, really low tech. And how do those two things come together to to solve a larger problem for the world uh, is what I expect that book to be about. But I could be wrong. What's your timetable for the next book? Well, I uh, it seems to take me about two, two and a half years to write a book. Um, I'm really excited about book three. Um, but I, I write as much as I can write every day of the week all the time. So I don't know that I could really step up the timetable too much. So I'd say about two, two and a half years is what I would imagine. Now, do you do any anything else with regard to, you know, like a, like a blog or a newsletter or anything that talks about AI? I mean, is this something that you're really immersed in, you know, work and home and everything? I mean, because, you know, a lot of people say, write what you know. 
Um, are are you constantly thinking about this kind of stuff, or is this something that you're focused on just for these books? Yeah, I mean, I, I find it interesting. I'm I'm more of a hobbyist. I'm I'm kind of a hobbyist about just about everything in my life. But no, actually, the the AI thing. When I started Systemic, I, I was just writing a story, and then I realized that the the AI and the sci finess of it was a necessity for telling the story. Um, so I didn't really set out to write an, a sci-fi book. I should have known. I read a lot of sci-fi, so I should have known it was going to be a sci-fi book. Uh, but if you've if you've read it, um, you would pretty quickly realize what I mean. It, there's there's a lot of hiking in it. There's camping and stuff. It's kind of got some some craziness going on like that. So I didn't know I was writing a sci-fi book. Um, and Host is very light on sci-fi because all the sci is gone, right? Right. right he's fallen over. So it's so I I, I always struggle. To, to tell people that they're, they're sci-fi books. So I think that I'm more interested in the ideas. Um, I'm interested in human nature a lot. I'm interested in psychology a ton. These books are highly, um, highly geared towards exploring the human mind and how we make our decisions and our thought processes. So it's really about a lot of those things that I, I do have a lot of interest in those. And AI is just this weird little, uh, uh, monkey wrench being thrown into all of those things about human perception. Yeah. Um, so my blog, I do talk about that on my blog a little bit here and there. Uh, I talk a lot about writing and the writing process on my blog uh, and, and those sorts of things, but I'm not, I'm not an AI researcher. Well, good luck surviving the apocalypse, right? Ah, well, we have <laughs> books. It's fine. That's right. All right. The two books in the series so far, Systemic, the first book, Host is the second book, which is out now. Is that right? It is out. You can get it on Amazon. Okay. I'll be working on the audio book here uh, shortly, but uh, you get it on ebook, you get it on paperback. Okay. And the website where you can find out more, chrislodwigauthor.com is, uh, is the main website. We've got links to all of these in the chat. Uh, you also have a presence on Facebook and on Instagram, and on LinkedIn. Oddly enough, you said that LinkedIn is where you're getting a lot of, uh, a lot of performance yeah. in terms of marketing your stuff. Is that, is that, did that just kind of happen? Yeah, I think that that's uh, because, you know, I've been, I've been working in tech for a long time, and tech people seem to like sci-fi. And so when you have as many uh, people on LinkedIn as I do that have known me over the years, I say, hey, I wrote a book, they, that they tend to tend to go for it pretty well. But yeah. Facebook and LinkedIn are my two best advertising channels. All right. Well, good luck with that, uh, with the book, with the series. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing the second one. Uh, well, um, the, third. the third one. Yeah. I, yeah I've got to look. Well. I've got to look in my pile and see if we've got copies of these books. I don't know that we do, but uh, I'm, I'm intrigued. I think it would be a, I think they'd be a fun read. So. Uh, well, I would hope you read it. I hope you enjoy it. Tell you what, stick around afterwards. Let me uh, let me run a couple of things past you here on that. And, sure. and everybody else, uh, here's my question I want to throw out to you in the chat because we've got a lot of news breaking today. Um, we've got Fortnite. We've got the Twitter stuff. We've got more information about Bob Iger and FTX coming out and the Amber Heard thing. Do we go to a second hour? Do we do a second hour here and just uh, talk about stuff? I don't know. Let me let me know what your thoughts are. Do we do a, a second a second hour? I don't know. We'll see. In the meantime, 
Uh, while you guys are debating that, here are our social media channels. You can find us on a number of different uh, platforms. And the, um, the other video platforms, Odyssey, Rumble, Twitch, we've got plans for all of them. So uh, connect with us, sign up for our newsletter. And uh, we're going to, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking maybe we do a, at least an extension past, uh, past one o'clock here. But we're going to go ahead and run the, run the credits and then we'll be back. So don't go anywhere. <laughs> if you unsubscribe to our podcasts, our legion is doomed. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. So um, <laughs> it's funny that you should ask that. It's a great question. That is an awesome question. When you need to know, count on Sci-Fi for me to be there asking all of the questions. It's a good question. It's a great question. <laughs> Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. I don't think I answered any of your questions. I'm bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-Fi for me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Good morning, Multiverse. Saturday morning at 11, 10 Central, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. All right, here we go. Second hour. And I don't think I'm going to make a habit of this, but there's a lot going on today, and I wanted to kind of sort of address a little bit of it, because otherwise it's just going to get a, get out of, uh, away from us, because uh, we're going dark for the next week, and um, there's, there's stuff, there's, there's lots of stuff happening. Um... <laughs> where to begin uh and just for the record we are continuing this is still 498 um which i don't know i guess you could call it 498b that conjures up all sorts of uh that conjures up some some memories for me because uh growing up uh growing up in in uh in the church of christ uh song number 728b uh, always <laughs> Excuse me, 728B has a specific connotation for a lot of us who grew up in the church. Uh, but anyway, yeah, let's let's do this. I'm not going to do a full hour here, but uh, just every now and again, I, we might do some extension on this, uh, especially if we've got a guest, and I want to I want to concentrate the time on the guest. But there are other things here that are going on, so let's let's take a look here for just a second, just briefly. Uh, on a few things, the first of it uh, of this, uh, Amber Heard and Johnny Depp settle following defamation lawsuit appeal. <sighs> there are so many things. There are so many things, and a lot of people are doing videos on this. A lot of people have thoughts about this, and and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. Uh, I know Tug's been doing doing uh, the the bulk of this. Um, I think Richard Hogue. 
I had some stuff on this this morning. So and I imagine, you know, Ricardo will probably have some thoughts in various different places around here. So I'm just I'm just sharing this. And uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, hello, Bianca. Let me let me really quick say hi to everybody that was in the chat because I don't know how many people are staying uh, around for this. I see the lovely Sherry. Uh, Bianca just jumped in. What's up? Keely is there. Death Angel Shadow Cam is there. Uh, who else is in, in, in any of all of this? I don't see. I don't see Snob. I don't see Robert today. I don't see Mazerus. That's okay. <laughs> Hopefully I won't cough up a lung. I am recovering. Eventually I'm going to be over all of this. All right, but this is in Variety uh, today. Amber Heard and Johnny Depp have avoided yet another court appearance after settling their latest round of litigation. Depp originally filed a defamation claim against Heard in March 2019 after Heard published an op-ed in the Washington Post in which she described herself as a, quote, public figure representing domestic abuse. The couple had been married two years, divorcing in 2017. Earlier this year, but up, but up, duh. Okay. <clears throat> so the the bulk of this is just uh, rehashing and going through and giving you a previously on Amber Heard versus Johnny Depp. Uh, the uh, here we go in a statement announcing the decision. She's and she's basically withdrawing her appeal on uh, on the judgment against her. And it says here, <coughs> excuse me, uh, in a statement announcing the decision, Heard made clear that, quote, there are no restrictions or gags with respect to my voice moving forward and blasted the U.S. legal system for turning her testimony into, quote, entertainment and social media fodder. She also compared her experience with the U.S. legal system to the U.K., where Depp sued British tabloid The Sun in 2020 for calling him a wife beater in an article. Heard was a chief witness for the son. In that case, the judge called the allegations uh, substantially true and found in favor of the son. There are mitigating circumstances on that one. One, she was not the target of the lawsuit in the UK. And my understanding is that there was a lot of stuff that was not allowed into uh, testimony over there. So I, I don't know. All right. So her... Her full statement, I'm not going to go through all of her full statement because there are a couple of things that stand out to me <clears throat> that really put this into a particular context. And it doesn't make her look any better, personally. This is my opinion, and I am not a lawyer. I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't care about Amber Heard. I don't care about Johnny Depp. Doesn't matter. I mean, what happened to Johnny Depp, what has been proven to have happened to Johnny Depp, is a tragic thing. Yes, when a marriage falls apart, it's a bad thing. They have my sympathies. But at the end of the day, I will sleep just fine whether they're getting along or not. But this is uh, Amber Heard's statement uh, beginning here. Quote, after a great deal of deliberate... <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> you know, it just comes out of nowhere. I am, I am so sorry. <coughs> Quote, after a great deal of deliberation, I have made a very difficult decision to settle the defamation case brought against me by my ex-husband of Virginia. It's important for me to say that I never chose this. I defended my truth 
And in doing so, my life as I knew it was destroyed. The vilification I have faced on social media is an amplified version of the ways in which women are re-victimized when they come forward. All right, I'm going to stop there. The rest of this is, you know, more poor me, I'm still the victim. But it's very telling. She sits there, and so when she says it's important for me to say that I never chose this, yeah, you did, because... All of us make choices on how we behave toward others. You know, and whether you're a person of faith or not, the golden rule is still something worth applying. You know, if it's not he who makes the he who has the gold makes the rules, there's that one. But do unto others as you would have them do unto you is a pretty solid principle, whether you are a person of faith or not. Treat people the way you want to be treated. I mean, we see this, you know, a lot of people sit there and say, you know, it, it, it's not how you treat your equals. It's how you treat the wait staff. It's how you treat the shoeshine boy. It's how you treat the, the valet parking your car. You know, it's how you treat the working stiffs, especially if you're in a, in a higher stratus of, of, of wealth and privilege and whatever else. How do the big wigs, muckety mucks, treat the the low the lowly ones, right? <clears throat> and the teaching of of Jesus is, you know, treat everybody like you like you like them, right? So when she sits there and says, "I never chose this," she did because she chose how she was going to behave toward her husband. She chose to write that op-ed with the ACLU. She chose to create a narrative where she was the victim of abuse and, and a jury decided that she was lying. I, I, I don't know if she's lying or not. I don't care. But a jury decided she's lying. She chose that path and you know there's recordings that sit there and say you know who's going to believe you you're the guy <clears throat> she made choices and then the next sentence i defended my truth truth is not relative folks my opinion my perception my belief but not my truth. Let's get away from that garbage because my truth is bunk. There is no such thing as my truth. There's truth. There is objective fact. There is those things that can be proven to be true and everything else is a matter of opinion and observation and speculation and supposition and whatever else you want to apply there. There is a difference between truth and not. But there is no such thing as my truth. <clears throat> that, is, that is such a self-centered, narcissistic viewpoint and everybody who sits there and says, my truth, my lived reality is 
I don't want to say delusional, but you've bought into a a perception of reality that is not true. It's not accurate. You know, we each live inside our own heads. So we have a perception of reality, and, and that perception of reality is clouded by our experiences and our beliefs and what we've learned and, and our interactions with other people and whatnot. But there is no my truth. You know, we were talking about it earlier in the, in the show with, uh, with Chris Ludwig. You know, I can, I can look up and I can point at the sky and say the, 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 sky, is, is, the sky is purple. The sky is chartreuse. The sky is yellow. It doesn't make it true. If I can sit there and say, well, my truth is the sky is yellow. You look at me like I'm a crazy person. That I don't have a perception of reality. <clears throat> there is truth. There is fact. Sometimes perception of fact affects your perception of truth. But she sits here and says, you know, I defended my truth, and in doing so, my life as I knew it was destroyed. Boo-hoo! You made a choice. You sat there and said, I'm going to create and construct this narrative, and I'm going to present this narrative, <coughs> whether it's true or not. I'm sure there were conversations about possible consequences to this kind of thing. especially given the popularity of Johnny Depp. I put this out there, and I didn't expect this kind of, this kind of treatment. I didn't expect to get this kind of blowback. I didn't expect... Sure you did. If you have people all around you, and not one of them said, you know, this could happen, right? Then all the people around you are, are of limited value. Because they're not looking out for you. This whole thing smacks of opportunism because it was right on the cusp of the whole Me Too thing. <clears throat> and then the, the, the stuff happened in the UK. And there's still pending investigation going on in, in Australia. This is not over. This phase of it might be. But this is not over, because we still got Australia to go through. But for her to sit there, and even in admitting defeat, continuing to embrace this victim narrative that has been proven to be a lie, at least as far as a jury is concerned, and really, the court of public opinion, for the most part, if anybody actually watched the trial, you come away thinking one thing. If you haven't watched the trial, and all you're taking is, you know, Amber's, Amber's people putting what they put out there, then your, pre, your, your perception is going to be a whole lot different. And again, again, it gets back to what we were talking about with, with Chris earlier in the hour, is who, <laughs> who is the arbiter of truth? What do, we, what do we believe? Why do we believe? 
Well, we believe what we believe a lot of times because of what the media is telling us to believe. <coughs> Script Doctor, who's a, a, got an account on, on the web, uh, he's a frequent contributor over there on Midnight's Edge, he's posted, and he's a writer, he's an actual screenwriter in the Hollywood system, and he posted uh, a clip from uh, Superman and Lois, right? Hmm. Sorry, Lois and Clark and the New Adventures of Superman. This is the one with Dean Cain and Terry Hatcher. And it's a clip of Dean Stockwell playing a media mogul, basically saying, I want to destroy the Daily Planet because then after that, I'll control 80% of what people read. And when I control what people read, I can control what they think. And this is how many years ago that this TV show came out? And we see... Media manipulation of the masses is a thing. It's not just something that was that was put into 1984. It's not just something that was in Fahrenheit 451. It's not something that's just in these dystopian future stories. It's real. It's happening now. And the government, certain branches of the government, certain agencies in the government are right there in the middle of it. We've got part seven of the Twitter files dropping today. Michael Schellenberger is the one, Schellenberger is the one dropping all of this information about how the FBI was pressuring Twitter. Are you sure? Are you sure this isn't Russian bot activity? Are you sure it's not? Really? I mean, really, you want to look at that a little bit closer, maybe? The access that the FBI and the intelligence community had to, to executives at Twitter and the, the amount of pressure that they put on to this social media platform. And, don't, and, and, and make a note here. Twitter did not operate in a vacuum. You can bet that if the FBI... And by extension, the intelligence community, which means CIA, which is not legally authorized to operate inside the United States, by the way. NSA, Homeland Security, whoever else in the intelligence community, quote unquote. Now, remember, the barriers to the intelligence community talking amongst themselves got removed because... Well, 9-11, we had all this information over here, and we had this information over here, and we had this information over here, but none of the agencies could talk to each other because of all of these walls that were in place. You remember those conversations? You remember those hearings back in the day, right? And so all those walls got removed, so now the intelligence community, they can share information back and forth easily, more easily, right? And if the, the FBI was taking point on the intelligence community pressuring Twitter to censor information, especially with regard to an election, <coughs> one, that's illegal, two, that's fascism, three, you can bet that they were doing it on other social platforms. Zuckerberg said as much when he talked about the FBI coming to him about Russian Russian information and stuff with there with Facebook. And you can bet they did it everywhere else too. Facebook, Instagram, 
Maybe not TikTok. They probably didn't have to. I mean, let's be honest. TikTok is TikTok. But pressuring Twitter is just the tip of the iceberg. I'm sure that there were conversations that were going on with Google, with YouTube, with Amazon Web Services, perhaps. I mean, look at what happened with Parler. And I imagine that the media <coughs> is going to try to shape the narrative and shape the argument and the story that we get over the FTX stuff. Because now it's coming out in the Wall Street Journal. Well, let me let me back up. Because Cam Cameron Pasha has pulled the pulled the spotlight on this thing, and a lot of people are talking about it. Kevin O'Leary, and we've talked about it a little bit here. Kevin O'Leary, who's Mister Wonderful, he's on he's on Shark Tank, uh, big investor, big big CEO type guy. He was a paid spokesman for for FTX. He had you know we talked about this before. You know he had invested a lot of money uh, of his own into FTX. He talked to Sam Bankman-Fried. He says, "Where'd the money go?" He's willing to pursue and look to see where the money went. And he revealed in a in an interview over on CNBC, he he started to drop names and got interrupted, and the pad, the discussion went off other other places. But he mentioned Bob Iger as an investor in FTX, directly invested. Maybe that's the that's how you can read it when you listen to what O'Leary is saying. But I have to wonder if if Kevin O'Leary sits there and says. Iger was in was invested in this. <clears throat> how much of that is he talking about Iger? How much of that is he talking about Disney? Because we're com we're, we're coming to find out now in the Wall Street Journal that when Christine McCarthy panicked at the disco and went to the board and says, "We got to get rid of Bob Chapek." <clears throat> apparently, according to this, this is this is just from today, uh, from yesterday, and and Valiant Renegade and the gang talked about it over on his channel the, uh, last night. Apparently, Christine McCarthy had conversations with Bob Iger off the off the books before going to the board. So, if you want to make the argument that this is a conspiracy of some sort. Who knows? Ms. McCarthy, this is in the uh, in the bulk of the article here. Ms. McCarthy, the D Disney CFO, was fed up with Mr. Chapek's performance and leadership, and tur she turned to the one person she believed could dislodge him. She and Mr. Iger had worked together for more than 15 years and had stayed in touch. I don't think that's an accident. Including meeting for lunch last summer at the annual gathering of media executives in Sun Valley, Idaho. We've talked about that meeting. I don't know that anybody knew that Christine McCarthy was there. Ms. McCarthy called to ask Mr. Iger if he would consider returning. He said he would. Two days later, board chair Susan Arnold offered him the job, knowing he would likely accept. This sounds like a setup. And it also sounds like Bob Iger is exposed in the FTX thing. 
And if Christine McCarthy is the next in line to be the CEO of the Walt Disney Company, it's like, I mean, who else, who else are you going to get? <clears throat> you get somebody who was in on it to help you cover it up. I agree with Cameron Pasha in his, in his take on this. I think he's right. I think there's not anybody else that they could put into place as CEO past Bob Iger's return, because he's only supposed to be there two years. It makes absolute sense that Christine McCarthy would be the one to go in there next because that can continue the cover-up. That can continue to paper over things until we can paper over it enough that nobody sees it. I mean, they made the deal with the whistleblower, the SEC, so that investigation kind of goes away. But this exposure, <coughs> excuse me, this exposure with regard to FTX, this, I don't know anything about it. I don't know what the numbers are. But from the outside looking in, this could pull the Walt Disney Company down completely. And what does that do then to BlackRock, Vanguard? Because you still have the government of the state of Florida nipping at their heels. I don't know. I just it just feels like it just feels like things they are a coming. And there are a, <coughs> a lot of chickens that are about to roost. Because if anybody talks, if anybody gets flipped, if anybody gets rolled then the whole thing comes down. I think that's one of the reasons why Sam Bankman-Fried was arrested the day before he was set to testify in front of Congress. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's a theory. But I think you're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of consequences to decisions. You know, we talk about, you know, consequences to the choices that Amber Heard makes. I think we're going to see consequences to the choices that Bob Iger has made over the years. Consequences to the choices that Christine McCarthy made. Uh, consequences to the choices that everybody who invested in FTX, they're going to uh, experience some of that. And And now you've got here... Uh, consequences to Fortnite. Uh, Epic Games paying record $520 million in FTC fines over children's online privacy and billing practices. Excuse me, what? This is Deadline. Uh, posted today, Epic Games has agreed to pay a total of $520 million in two settlements with the Federal Trade Commission over allegations the Fortnite creator violated the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, COPPA, we're, we're familiar with that, yes, because of what happened with YouTube a year and a half ago, and that it used design tricks to dupe millions of players into making unintentional purchases as part of a proposed federal court order filed by the Department of Justice on behalf of the FTC, Epic will pay a $275 million uh, for violating the privacy ring, 
the largest penalty ever obtained for violating an FTC rule, the agency said. Epic must also adopt stronger privacy default settings for children and teens. Separately, the game maker will pay $245 million under a proposed administrative order to refund customers for its so-called dark patterns billing practices. The FTC called this the largest refund amount in a gaming case and its largest administrative order in history. Quote, as our complaints note, Epic used privacy-invasive default settings and deceptive interfaces that tricked Fortnite users, including teenagers and children, said FTC Chair Linda Con- uh, Lena Khan. Quote, protecting the public and especially children from online privacy invasions and dark patterns is a top priority for the commission, and these enforcement actions make clear to businesses that the FTC is cracking down on these unlawful practices. So... Interesting. The FTC alleged Epic violated COPPA by collecting personal information from kids under 13 who played Fortnite without notifying their parents or obtaining their parents' verifiable consent. Epic also violated the FTC Act's prohibition against unfair practices by enabling real-time voice and text chat communication for children and teens by default. Interesting. So, Epic Games, the latest to get hit by the government. Don't expect they're going to be the last ones. Because you still have the whole Activision uh, uh, Activision Blizzard thing happening. uh, And I don't know that that's going to go through. But it might. You never know. Um, I don't know. It's, 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 It's an interesting time, right? It's interesting times. Because in the midst of all of this, and we're talking about all of these different things, you still have the question of, are people going to be able to heat their homes this winter? Are we going to have enough diesel fuel for the trucks to transport our goods to market? Are the trains going to run on time? Are we going to be able to offload all of that stuff from the boats that are still sitting at anchor? Will they be able to finally finish repairing the bridge on I-40 in Nashville? How many more food processing plants are going to catch fire? You know, it's little things, right? I don't know. I just, it's just... It's just such an interesting... Yeah, Memphis. It, it could be in Memphis. Yes, thank you, Death Danger. I, 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 so, it's Tennessee. It's close, close enough, right? <laughs> yeah, but I think it is. I think you're right. I think it is Memphis. Anyway, <laughs> so, and it's one of those things I was like, story after story after story, and you look at this and you're thinking, how can people not realize that we're being maybe not necessarily lied to all the time, but there's certainly a great deal of deception and dishonesty at play these days, right? Which means, folks, be honest be nice to each other. Be respectful of each other. I mean, come on. It's not that difficult. I mean, the 
the government and the media wants us to hate each other. This tribalism thing is a goal. It is a tactic. It is something sitting there saying, yes, we want you all fighting each other because then you won't be paying attention to Klaus Schwab and the, and the World Economic Forum. That, that's, the, that's the goal, right? Is we, if we fight each other, we're not fighting them. Don't fall for it. And I know I sound like a conspiracy theorist. And I am. Give it three weeks. It won't be a conspiracy theory anymore. Right? <sighs> Death Angel Shadow says, we're trying to find a way to give Memphis to Mississippi or Arkansas. <laughs> uh, some of you are stuck with what you got. Right. You see San Bernardino County is looking to secede from the state of California. Probably won't happen, but, you know, maybe it might be a thing. Who knows? I don't know. Anyway. All right. Um, I want to I want to do also this one little thing. I want to give you a glimpse over here. This is Mindy's camera and the lights are dark because. We have stuff going on. We have stuff brewing. We have things that you can't see yet. But I do want to uh, to encourage you all to stick around. And I know in 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 the next few days, this is going to be it because we're, uh, we're not going to have any more shows this week. <coughs> we've got uh, we've got Christmas break. We've got Christmas on the weekend. We will be back on this show on Wednesday the 28th with number 499. And then on Friday the 30th, a big blowout episode, probably extended, open line Friday, lots of announcements, lots of news, things going on. Our 500th installment on Friday the 30th. So we want to make sure that you join us for that. And then tonight, Mr. Harvey and I will have a, a discussion on the H2O podcast talking about artificial intelligence, the AI-generated artwork that everybody is so gung-ho about right now. All of that, uh, we're going to be talking about that tonight. So that'll be the last the last show, uh, the last H2O of the... Well, I don't know if we're going to do one next Monday night or, or, or not. i gotta, I got to talk to Tim. I, we haven't decided yet. But... That's that's going on today. The rest of the week, we're dark. Uh, no shows the rest of the week. So enjoy your break. Enjoy your holiday. Catch up on everybody else's show. But be back here on the 28th for number 499. And then on the 30th for 500. And uh, we'll see what we can see. In the meantime, connect with us on all these different social media platforms. <coughs> We're on 10 different uh, accounts, different places you can find us. And a lot of that is us going to where you are. We want to meet you where you're at. So if you're done with Twitter and you're going to go off someplace else, you know, we're, we're, we're in a lot of different places. Odyssey, Rumble, YouTube, Twitch are the four video platforms where we're at. You can also sign up for our newsletter. And, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Keely mentions Comics Divisions. I'm going to be on Comics Divisions uh, Thursday Night Throwdown on the 29th. Not this week, but next week. And uh, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, I will be over on 32 Flavors of Nick Weiser's channel uh, for his Toxic Tuesday. They're going to be going through watching 
National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I've never seen it. I'm sure we will have some discussions about never seeing it. But that's tomorrow night uh, over on Nick Weiser's channel. So uh, join us for that. In the meantime, have fun. Have a good weekend. Have a safe holiday. A safe, uh, you know, a Merry Christmas. A Happy Hanukkah. All of those things. Back here on the 29th. Uh, with more live from the bunker. And in the meantime, remember, the media is not your friend. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 